working in law. What a show. Turns out, most of what we need to know to be a lawyer isn't in a law book. It's learned the hard way, on the job, in front of everyone. But what if you don't want to do it the hard way? Well, this is the podcast for you. Together with insight and advice from experts all over the world, we'll help you navigate all the sh- they don't teach you at law school. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Sarah Elke, but you can call me Sarah. I'm a lawyer, writer, professional development disruptor, and the creator and host of the show you are about to feast your ear tongues on right now. And what is that show exactly? I hear you ask. A very good question. Basically, it's me and a whole bunch of my friends sharing the huge amount of insider information I have gathered in the past year and a half through what has become the biggest research project I ever accidentally did. And I say accidentally because it really was. I never intended to set out and create this show. It is A happy byproduct of launching my first podcast, The Briefcase, in August of 2022. And it all started with the off-mic conversations I'd have with my guests as I'd set up and pack down my equipment. And I noticed those conversations would invariably move to what I like to call the elephant in the courtroom. And that is the huge skills and knowledge gap between what we're taught at university and what we actually need to know to create and sustain a healthy, fulfilling legal career. And in having these conversations, I soon discovered that a lot of people have really passionate views on the skills gap and valuable advice to share. So from there, I expanded my focus group and took the issue to leaders across the profession and eventually the world. But more on that later. I have to give a huge shout out to every single person I've spoken to in the past 18, 24 months. Your insights have been absolutely invaluable and it really goes to show that there is a lot of goodwill and collegiality at the heart of our profession, despite us being assholes to each other a lot of the time, because it's taken a massive village to get this project off the ground. And I couldn't have done it without each and every one of my contributors. So thank you. And luckily, as a listener, you'll get to meet pretty much every single one of them as they'll feature as my expert guests on the show throughout the series, which is great because that means I not only get to introduce you to my brain's trust, but we also get to collectively celebrate them. And they deserve to be celebrated because they have been so generous, so authentic, and so honest with their feedback and input, which is absolutely needed in the profession now, possibly more than ever. We'll be dropping into the feed of your favorite podcast app weekly. So make sure you take the time now to hit follow so that you don't ever miss an episode. This will continue to be the best way you can support the show. And that is just by hitting follow. Our episodes are sure to be a hot topic with everyone in law and the legal industry at large. And look, probably as controversial as the unisex bathroom was when Ally McBeal first premiered. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't tell me because I'll feel old. Okay, so what can you expect each week from this show? Well, because we're brand new and everyone is going to have a different expectation for how we approach 
the huge issue that is the knowledge and skills gap between uni and the real world. I'm going to be a little bit fluid with the format to start with. um, And that way you can tell me what you want to hear more of or what you want to hear less of. And ultimately that creates it as your show. And that's really what I'm trying to do here. Each week, we'll cycle through a different format. There's four at the moment, all up. And to give you an idea, here's what's coming up for the month of March 2024. Episode one. You're listening to it right now. Isn't it great? But it gets even better because for the first episode of each month, I'll be deep diving into all the things we talk about behind closed doors, but have never before put on the record. Episode two. Dear Show, an advice show that resolves the unexpected dilemmas you're facing in practice with the help of experts. Episode three, the interview. I sit down with someone rich and powerful in law and embarrass myself more than I care to include in the final edit. I also ask them the immortal question, what's something law school didn't prepare you for? Episode four, leadership book club, also known as the I don't have time to read books club. A chance to get the gist of all those books our annoyingly well-read friends keep telling us to read, but we never will. And you can get involved. Connect with me on LinkedIn because I'll be sharing updates each month, including the broad theme for each Dear Shit Show episode, as well as the book you probably won't have time to read for the book club that month. And of course, if you do get around to reading the book, it'll also be fun because you'll get to feel smug and superior to me whilst you gain a handy dandy summary from my fabulous book clubbers, Georgia and Lauren. Can't wait for you to meet them. You can also vote on your favorite formats of the show by heading to Instagram at Sarah Elke. That's S-A-R-A-H-E-L-K-E. I'll keep you updated on how that's all going. Otherwise, we'll just stay the course and see how we go. In the meantime, send me an email to hello at sarahelke.com and keep telling me what shit you weren't taught at law school. And again, hit follow so you don't miss out on the journey. It's going to be an interesting one to say the least. And I can't wait to share it with you. But without further ado, I give you our very first installment of Shit They Don't Teach You at Law School. The themes in this episode may not be suitable for everyone. So best to listen away from little ears, clients, and especially clients with little ears. So, I've thought long and hard about this and it feels really it feels really difficult to know where to start with such a huge topic. Rightly or wrongly, I'm going to start with a story. And it may be the wrong thing to do, but I got to start somewhere. And I guess I can't ask my guests on this brand new show to be open and vulnerable about their experiences unless I share some of my own. So if you've spent any real time with me um, over the past few years or hell, if you've been anywhere near me after I've had a couple of wines, you've probably heard this story. But the version I've told you isn't the full version. There's actually more to the story. So if you hang around, you'll hear the full version, which is even more right opening I think so it's a story about my first job in law 
um, which I got when I was still studying. And that job was working as an admin assistant in chambers for a group of pretty high profile barristers. Now, I was super excited to join as an admin assistant, even though, you know, my role was going to be washing the dishes, answering the phones, vacuuming, all very important functions, don't get me wrong. But I also saw it as just a golden opportunity to be able to peek behind the curtain at the real world of law and maybe even, you know, get a few, you know, valuable insights for my own career in the future. So I just dove into the opportunity. I thought I thought it was great. There was another full-time admin assistant who'd been there for about two years by the time I joined. She was also young and female and she was awesome. We were fast friends. We got along really, really well. And um, for the purposes of this story, I'm going to call her Emily, just for the sake of anonymity. So I'd um, been in the job for a couple of weeks, fairly uneventful, two weeks, and it was coming towards the end of the day and I looked down at my bin underneath my desk to see if it needed to be emptied before I left for the day. To my surprise, I saw there was a bottle of San Pellegrino sitting there. Now, this was weird for a couple of reasons, but mostly because the bottle wasn't empty. It was full and it didn't look like it was full of water. So I'm like, what the hell? Someone's put a bottle of something in my bin. And of course, Emily hears me. She's sitting at a desk right behind me and she jumps to attention and she's like, I'm so sorry this has happened to you. I had hoped it wouldn't happen to you. So of course I'm like, what do you mean? What's happened to me? And Emily just told me everything. She's like, it's from one of the barristers. It's a bottle of his urine. Apparently he pees back into whatever he drinks out of. And she thought when she first started there that maybe it was a quirk, maybe it was an anomaly. Maybe he was just so busy that he couldn't get to the bathroom and it was out of necessity. But after a few months of working there, she noticed it was continuing and sort of escalating. And so she realized there was something else going on. She was noticing that there were cans of mother that had been filled back up with pee that he put all around his office on his desk, on his side table, on his filing cabinet. And he did the same thing with water glasses. He'd, you know, drink the water and then fill it right back up with pee. And he'd place the water glasses full of urine in between the briefs on his bookcase. And of course, he would leave these big bottles of San Pellegrino full of pee in her bin as well. Not the little ones, the big ones. This was the first time Emily had talked to anyone about what she'd seen and experienced in Chambers. She hadn't felt she could speak about it because he was the busiest barrister in Chambers. And that means he was the most powerful barrister in Chambers. When you get the most work in, that seems to equate to being the most powerful. So when Emily spoke, I just listened. She told me about the time that she was in his office when he was in court and she was dusting his bookcase and she accidentally knocked one of those water glasses off the shelf and she panicked because she didn't want him to know that she knew. 
And I'm like, of course he knew. How could he not? I mean, isn't that the whole point? And she said she couldn't really explain it. But in the moment, she froze and panicked, thought, okay, I've got to cover this up. So she's on the ground, mopping up the pee from the carpet. She looks around for one of those mother cans, fills the water glass back up, puts the mother can back where she found it and slips the water glass full of urine back between the briefs. There was also the other time that the barrister had waited for one of the other members of Chambers to leave so that he could go into their office and pee on their light switch and behind their bookcase. And the barrister at the time joked that they deserved it, that they were an asshole and a neat freak. And he wasn't really talking to anyone when he said it, but, you know, Emily was the only one there to hear it. So... She went on to share story after story like this, including some that involved um, my predecessor, but they're a little bit too graphic to include here. Suffice to say that after Emily had finished telling me everything she wanted to tell me, I told her that she absolutely didn't have to put up with this kind of behavior and that, you know, she really should tell one of the other members of Chambers that she trusts everything she'd told me. And she said she'd think about it and we left it at that. Anyway, a couple of days pass and, you know, I work the morning shift and I have the afternoon off. And later that afternoon, I get a call from Emily and she tells me that she went to wash the dishes at the end of the day and she filled up the sink and she squeezed the detergent into the water and she mixed the water with her hand to lather it up. But there were no bubbles. So she frothed it up a little bit more a few times and there were still no bubbles. Emily got a bad feeling and picked up the detergent bottle and opened the lid and discovered it was full of piss. And she bursts into tears as she's telling me this and she's trying frantically to convince herself and me that we haven't accidentally washed the dishes with urine before. Surely this is the first time he's done that where he's peed into the detergent surely we're trying to convince ourselves and I'm like pacing backwards and forwards in city beach I can still see in my mind's eye where I was and I'm like this is it 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 ends now this is unacceptable and we talked about who we trusted the most in chambers and we agreed that we were going to talk to them very first thing the next day and that's what we did and the peeing barrister and got kicked out of chambers that same day, along with all the crockery and glassware, I might add. Now, that's the usual story that I tell. But as I said at the beginning, it's not the full story. There's a whole other part to it. And I think the reason why I don't share it is because it's the part that, funnily enough, makes me feel the most uncomfortable. It's not wrapped up in a neat battle of good versus weird. And it doesn't have a particularly happy ending, but I think it's time that we bring those conversations out from behind closed doors. So the rest of the story starts the moment we raised the alarm. We'd chosen our most trusted member of Chambers to confide in. He was super friendly, really nice, and very, very well regarded. And um, that morning we sort of, you know, flagged to him, do you have a moment to chat? He said, yes. So we went into his office, closed the door, sat down, And I urged Emily to tell him everything that she'd told me. And she did. And our confidant's reaction was surprising in that 
He wasn't surprised at all. He um, didn't have any shock on his face. He just sort of sighed and said, not again. And And I know he later regretted this, but he went on to explain in the moment that the barrister had been kicked out of his previous chambers for this same behavior and that they'd made him promise that he wasn't going to do that here before they let him join. So he was sorry that they hadn't kept a closer eye on him, but he sort of ushered us out of the meeting at that point so that he could go and talk to the other members of Chambers. Both of us couldn't believe it, that they knew he had a propensity for this sort of behaviour, and they ultimately put their employees and each other um, in harm's way by just pretending everything was okay and not actually checking in to see what was going on with that particular barrister, even, you know, if he needed any support or help to be the best version of himself. Anyway, it was like the last two years just crashed down on Emily at that point. You know, she'd been holding it together fairly well, but when she found out that, you know, she'd been living effectively in fear and keeping this man's secret day after day after day for two years... It just, it just fell on top of her like a ton of bricks and it became obvious that she was struggling and, you know, almost looked like she was having a a breakdown. Um, And that became obvious to the rest of the chambers as well, fairly quickly. So um, within a couple of days after that, the rest of chambers called Emily in for a meeting and I wasn't invited and neither one of us knew what the meeting was going to be about. She ended up being in that meeting for about two hours. It was really long. And I remember sitting there feeling worried because there was just something about it that just felt off. Anyway, eventually she emerges and um, Emily tells me later that they'd been asking her question after question after question about everything that she'd seen, experienced, heard in the last two years of working at Chambers. And she said it felt like they were asking her the same question over and over again, but just in different coming from different directions. So, you know, this way, that way, upside down. And they confirmed all of her answers and wrote them all down. Um, And then I was like, well, that sounds like a pretty intense meeting and you're super vulnerable at the moment. You really should have had a support person in there for something like that. doesn't seem right. And she was insistent. No, no, no. They were really nice. They just wanted um, me to feel heard and supported and they just wanted the full picture so that they could you know best support me moving forward and they even suggested that you know she take a couple of weeks stress leave to sort of rest and recover and that that would be paid leave and even I had to admit that that was that was a good idea given how she was traveling at the time so she spent the afternoon giving me a crash course and all of the more complex tasks that she was in charge of as the senior admin assistant and then she started her her leave the next day. So, you know, all was well and I left Emily alone to rest and recover, but I did check in with her a few days later to see how she was going. And she said she was doing well. She was feeling a lot better. She was staying with her parents, which was a couple of hours drive away. And she said it was nice being back home, being looked after by her parents. You know, she was sort of welcoming that. And then she sort of said something that she immediately regretted. She told me that one of the barristers in Chambers, the only female barrister in Chambers as it happened, had driven up to see her the night before last. And 
I sort of, you know, jumped on that. And I'm like, what do you mean? (laughs) What do you mean that she drove up to see you? And again, Emily rushed to make it okay. And she's like, no, 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 no. It was fine. She was just coming to check in on me, make sure I was going okay. She only stayed for about an hour or so. And she even, you know, spoke to my parents. It, It was all fine. And I said, oh, okay. And then she said that the barrister had brought a piece of paper for Emily to sign. And I asked, what piece of paper? And did you sign it? I, I can't remember her exact words, but there was something along the lines of, oh, I shouldn't have said anything. I don't think I'm actually allowed to talk about this. So I said, okay. And I didn't push her any further. She became audibly uncomfortable at that point. And I just said to her, I hope you continue to, to get better, mate. And we really look forward to having you back. But I never saw Emily again. Chambers heavily relied upon me to fill her role during her leave. But the day before she was due to come back, they fired me. There wasn't enough work amongst the remaining seven barristers to justify a second admin assistant, they said. So that's the messy ending to the story. Since that time, uh, Emily and I, you know, we stayed in touch for a while as you do, but eventually and inevitably we drifted apart. This was, this was several years ago, obviously. And every single one of those barristers and chambers have gone on to build illustrious and well-regarded careers. In fact, a number of them went on to judicial appointments, including our confidant that we spoke to. And as for the peeing barrister... Well, he went back to his chambers that he got kicked out of originally. And my understanding is he's still there to this day. And I see him around the city every now and then. He's still practicing. And we pretend to not know each other. And it's weird. And um, as far as I'm aware, his practice continues to flourish. So what's the important lesson here? Well, from my perspective, there's a couple. The first is that lawyers and barristers won't always act ethically or even legally. And that's something I still struggle to reconcile in my own mind all these years later. I don't have any answers, but I don't think pretending that it doesn't happen is helping anybody. And I don't think talking about the minority that engage in that kind of behavior is calling the profession at large into disrepute. In fact, I think having the conversation helps us come together, bring all the great advice and insights that we share with one another behind closed doors or after a few wines or over a coffee. It brings that out for everyone to benefit from. And the second lesson is things aren't always going to be black and white. There's nuance to every story, And my story that I've told you here today is obviously only one side of a multifaceted, super complex situation. So it's true. Things aren't always black and white. In fact, you could say sometimes they're also a little bit yellow. P.S. Before you go looking at my LinkedIn, I have completely amended my employment history so you won't be able to figure out who the players in this story actually are. I think we can all share our truth without dragging fellow members of the profession through the mud. PPS. 
I don't have anything else to add. I just really wanted to say pee pee. <laughs> we'll be in your ears again next week, same time, same podcast channel. Until then, spread the word and let's get the profession listening to what you have to say. Bye. <laughs>